0: Being extraordinary
1: is having a relentless commitment during the unseen hours to work towards mastery of your craft and focus on the fundamentals. Being extraordinary is about doing the little things right every single
0: day. Hello and welcome to the final episode of Season 13 of the Raise Your Game Show. I'm Jeremy Stein, Alan's younger brother, his podcast producer, and your guest host for the day. For those of you that listen regularly, thank you. We truly appreciate your support. For those of you that are new to our show, this season, Alan has been exploring how high performers utilize the unseen hours. He's had fascinating conversations with professional stand-up comedians, magicians, actors, dancers, social media influencers, athletes, and coaches to find out exactly what they do behind the curtain When the cameras are off and the arenas are empty, to work towards mastery of their craft and to prepare themselves to perform at a world-class level. We hope you find their insights, perspectives, and personal strategies helpful as you continue to raise your game in 2023. Alan recorded the interview with today's guest earlier this fall. I'm simply recording the intro and outro as Alan is currently on a 10-day road trip to ring in the new year in style and then kickstart his January with four speaking engagements in just seven days but we will be back in full force to launch season 14 in mid-January. The new season will take a closer look at the most impactful lessons, principles, and strategies Alan shares on stage during his keynotes and workshops. We will play selected clips from his speaking engagements, followed by additional commentary and expanded thoughts from Alan. These episodes will be concise, powerful, and highly actionable to provide you with the tools you need to make 2023 your best year yet. We look forward to you joining us then. Okay, let's get on with the show. In today's episode, Alan laced up his high tops and hit the hardwood with Dan Engelstad, the head men's basketball coach at Mount St. Mary's University. This episode was very special, as Alan was Dan's basketball performance coach 20 years ago when he was a standout player at Walt Whitman High School in Bethesda, Maryland. They've both kept in touch ever since, and Alan is so proud of the coach, husband, and father that Dan is today. Here is Alan's conversation with the brilliant Dan Engelstad.
1: When you hear the word unseen hours or the
2: phrase unseen hours, what does that make you think of and where, where does your mind immediately go? It goes, you know, right to, you know, the amount of effort and work that this job requires that I don't think uh, people fully understand, Uh, you know, for, for us as coaches, you know, we are constantly trying to find ways to improve our teams. We're constantly trying to find ways to improve our talent level. Um, so, you know, for, for, for me, you know, there are are not many extra hours in a day, you know, I'm fortunate. I got a beautiful family. I got three daughters now. So just trying to find that time to be able to be successful in this position, because it requires that, you know, there's so much competition in this world. And, uh, for us from a coaching standpoint, you know, that's something that, that first comes to mind is just the, the amount of time and effort that it takes to build your team, to build your staff and to, to really, uh, put a successful product out there and you know you look at it from our players right the unseen hours are the the hours that they're putting in behind the scenes on top of what's already out there for them and um, sometimes that's not just grind, grind grind, you know that sometimes it's just taking care of their bodies. you know you, you talk about the unseen hours like a guy might be nicked and banged and you know the most selfless thing that he can do is go into the training room but that requires discipline, that requires time uh, to get your body right, to help yourself. For us, you know, we're really trying to train our brains this year. So like, you know, we're really, we worked with a, a group called Cortex to really improve our mental conditioning. And, you know, so for us, like the 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 unseen hours to me is just the amount that they'll put in uh, to having that resource as well. So there's just so much that goes on into this world. And, um, you know, you, so you look at it from a couple of different lenses, from a player lens, from a coach lens, and it's such a fun job, but, you know, when you say Unseen Hours, that's what first comes to mind.
1: You're a genius. That's the most outstanding answer I've ever heard.
2: Oh, I love that. And, you know,
1: I'm because of my previous career, I think I have a little bit more insight into what goes on behind the scenes in college basketball than maybe the average fan. Uh, but there's still so much that I don't know and I'm fascinated by. And and I love that we can kind of split this in two different directions. So let's stick on the player theme for just a few moments. Can you give us just kind of a 30,000-foot a overview of what's actually required of players on a year round basis. So let's start with the off season, you know, what, how many workouts per week, strength and conditioning, you know, all of that type of stuff, and then break down the season. And then we'll dive a little bit more into what
2: they do above and beyond the things that are required. So let's start as a, let's just put ourselves in a, a freshman's body for a minute, right? So they're coming in from high school, depending on when their graduation date is uh, they're going to come pretty much immediately to campus. And during the summer hours, they have eight hours. So they have four hours with us on the court. They have four hours in the weight room um, and conditioning. Uh, so for us, we really try to be smart with how we break that down. You know, for us, the offseason is is really about development. Um, now, they do have classes as well. Every student that participates in college basketball um, in the summer has to be taking classes. So they will be in one or two classes, depending on their schedule or depending if they're ahead or behind. But for freshmen, usually they take one class to kind of get them – prepared for the rigors that a college year is going to be in on the court you know that they're getting up in the morning uh, usually it's an early lift um, or a conditioning session uh, and then those workouts uh, dependent on early on it's usually individuals so we'll have we'll put 30 minutes on the clock and uh, you know it's going to be non-stop you know we'll make sure that they're hydrated make sure they're ready to go but we're going to be in there and we're working with them and that's our entire staff with just one individual so they're really getting you know, an elite workout where they're moving, where they're getting game simulated shots. And then on top of that, you know, they'll be able to, within that four hours, be able to watch film. Um, I have coordinators, so they'll come in and our offices are always open. And Coach Matt Miller is my defensive coordinator. They'll come in and, and watch defensive clips with him. If there's not the full team here, they'll watch clips on the season. They'll watch clips on different players. They'll watch clips on technique. So we're really trying to get them up to speed Uh, with how we're trying to guard. And then Coach Holland really oversees our offense. And so for him, he's really breaking down what we did in that workout and how that's going to uh, help us in the offensive system that we run. Uh, We run a lot of ball screen. So you're going to see within our workouts, there's a lot of ball screen. There's a lot of spread um, action that they got to run. So they got to be able to hit the shake. And uh, the biggest adjustment is getting off uh, shots in game simulated speed. So, you know, we're pushing them in there. Then, you know, on top of that, they have academic support. So, they're going to be meeting with uh, a coach weekly, um, going over their schedules, uh, making sure that they're doing all their classwork. I like to be hands on with that as well. So, I try to meet weekly with our guys. And so, you think about all of that on top of we have a nutritionist. Uh, So, you know, for them, they're, you know, getting their body fat, they're trying to find their body composition and, and ways that they can improve. And they're working simultaneously with our strength coach. So, you've got the strength conditioning, you've got a nutrition component, you've got class. Um, as well as, you know, in the off season, we're really trying to work on their leadership as well. So it might not be an actual class, but we're trying to give them um, as many tools to be successful Heading into the season, so it's it's a busy schedule for sure. Oh yeah, you're in the big leagues now. Oh, it is.
1: So and so it's the NCAA that allows you guys eight hours of, of basically contact time. And you said you divide that up amongst strength and conditioning and actual on court skill work. And this is this is during the summer. Then they've got their nutrition. They've got the uh, academic support. They're taking classes during the summer. That sounds like a pretty robust schedule. But I would imagine. Many of your guys come in above and beyond to work on their game on their own. Can you give us a picture of what maybe maybe some of your most ambitious players of years past, what type of hours are they logging during the really unseen hours, even when your coaching staff isn't seeing them?
2: So I took a little different approach with some of our veteran guys this year, and you know, I, I thought, you know, let's take the approaches. They're gonna work out. They're gonna get their workouts back home. Um, we're gonna definitely have them from one summer session. Uh, but we had guys that, then they wanted to be here. You know, they they wanted to have access to the weight room. They wanted to have access to our coaching staff. And so they stayed uh multiple sessions. And, you know, those are the guys that, you know, they're they're kicking butt and and really attacking everything. And on top of the workouts, they're also playing in the Kenner League, right? So they're driving down to Georgetown and and trying to elevate them themselves that way. You know, they're trying to to find any advantage that they can to get ahead. And it's you know, knocking down our door, trying to watch as much film as possible. And, you know, the great players that I've had and the ones that ended up breaking through, because it's a process, it always will be. You come in as a freshman, there's a learning curve, there's so much coming at you. Uh, But that's the fun part of coaching is seeing those upperclassmen that went through that curve really figure it out. And we've had a couple on this year's roster that I'm really excited about. And, you know, the guys that have ultimately made those big jumps, they're usually the ones that have those – Uh, terrific off seasons that do more than the requirement that are obsessed with getting themselves in the best physical shape, getting their mind in the best uh, mental shape that they can be, as well as, you know, their bodies uh, physically ready for the year uh, from a strength standpoint. And, you know, we've, we've seen, seen a lot of growth from our guys this year and guys that are coming back, but, you know, guys in the past, you know, our, our all-league guys are usually uh, ones that, that put the time and the effort in.
0: Okay, well, that's smart.
2: And you stick with this schedule until the first day of practice. So now take
1: us kind of a, just a, a macro look at from the first day of practice to the very end of the season. How long are you practicing? What other requirements do they have? I assume the strength and conditioning and film and nutrition and academic support continues. But you no longer have the eight-hour restriction once the season starts. So talk to me
2: what that, that schedule looks like. So instead of a quick one hour workout, that practice time is now early on. You know, we don't like to be in there too long, but when you're putting in and you have to install defense, offense, special teams, uh, time and situation, um, you know, with the pre practice workout that we do, which is all skill development, you know, we're in the gym probably two hours, 15, two hours, 30 early as the year goes on. And we're getting in the middle of the season. We're probably in there an hour, 15 max hour, 30 um, you know getting what we need to get in taking care of our bodies making sure we're getting stretched um, but then you know we, we like to go high intensity um, every single day that we're in the gym but so we have the practice that's now uh, longer uh, our film sessions are now I'll go in there beforehand and do big picture film you know we have our non-negotiables as a program so we're going to talk about those things we're going to break those down and we try to be consistent with you know, what we're trying to emphasize as a program from an offensive side, we don't want to turn the ball over. We want to share the basketball. We want to turn down a good shot to get a great shot. We want to play with pace and space. And um, so, you know, for me, it's the big picture. Our, our offensive coordinator is going to really dive into the, the details of it. Um, so that that pre-practice film with the team isn't going to be overly long from a defensive standpoint. It's pretty simple. We sprint back in transition. We get back. We want to make sure you're playing against said defense. We have elite ball pressure. So we, we want to make sure that, you know, we're really getting our guys um, locking in with ball pressure. You know, we have some terminology that we use that I, that I really like is we don't allow strikes. So we really, you know, that's something that we emphasize every single day. And then we rebound the basketball, pretty simple. You know, we're, we're going to, those are our non-negotiables, you know, everyone's going to box and we're going to secure the rebounds uh, with two hands. So, you know, for us every day, we're, we're putting that into play and our film is going to show that as well. So when they go in with Coach Miller, they're going to, really go over the the details and our rotations and what we're doing um, from that standpoint. So they're going to get, you know, a ton of film throughout the course of the day. So in the regular season, they're going to get more film study. We're still going to lift three times a week with our strength coach early on in in the year. They're going to meet with our nutritionist and go over to the cafeteria with her and make sure that they're getting the right food and make sure they're fulfilling the requirements that they need to to be successful playing division one basketball. You know, they, they got to fuel their body because they're um, exerting so much. And then they have their, their same deal. They got their classes, they got their study halls. You know, our study hall is based on your academic track record and success. So we have guys that are in our program that are, Three eight students that are getting their masters. Uh, They need a little less attention than a freshman that's coming in that's figuring it out for the first time. So you know it's it's a packed day, and you know on top of that, you know there may be speakers that were like Alan Stein every once in a while that come and talk to our guys, and you know we try to make sure that we're you know doing stuff off the court as well. You know we we've uh, made a really conscious effort this off season and going to continue throughout the year to do things you know off the court, whether it be come over the house and take a dip and swim or. Uh, we went hiking this year and went to Cunningham Falls, uh, which was really um, a great experience for our team. So we tried to make sure that we're um, engaging them, you know, off the court as well. I like it a lot.
1: My goodness. I mean, it's, uh, it, you, are, you aren't kidding. That is a pretty packed and, and robust schedule for all of the commitments because we can't forget they are student athletes. So we've got the commitment to the academics. And, you know, I, I guess on average, it's been a couple of decades since I've been at Elon. I mean, they have a couple hours of classes every day.
2: Yeah. So, you know, we, we're with the summer school. We, we have a little bit of flexibility. Guys can either try to get ahead. Today's a Monday, right? And and most of our guys have two classes. Some of them have three, but, you know, those are, you know, an hour class. And then Tuesday, Thursdays, probably one or two classes. You know, those are a little bit longer classes. So they're only twice a week, but most of our guys take five classes, um, you know, every semester, you know, they, they have to work, you know, the, the Mount challenges you and, you know, you, you show up, you do the work, you know, our, our guys, uh, You know, our our team rules are pretty simple. You know, don't hurt yourself, don't hurt your team and be on time and show up to class. And, you know, it's been a pretty good recipe. We've been fortunate to really not lose anybody from an academic standpoint since I've been here. And, you know, but you got to do the work. Absolutely. And of course, before we get to any
1: of this, before they have an opportunity to do any of this, they have to be recruited by you and your staff to know that they're the type of of student athlete that can handle all of the stuff that you just shared. So give us a peek behind the curtain and what goes in to recruiting. I mean, obviously you need to know that a guy can play at your level, uh, has to have the on court talent, but talk to me more about what you look for from a culture fit, you know, maybe some of the other things that that we might
2: not immediately think of when we think college recruiting. So you were part of the one and two percent. I first of all, I don't think people understand how hard at even, you know, a mid-major level it is to get a division one scholarship. They are really hard to get. And the recruiting landscape has changed tremendously as of late. You know, you've added now an extra COVID year. So now you have a new collection of graduated seniors that can still play basketball. So they're part of the recruiting pool. On top of that, you know, you also have the transfer portal, which has changed the game because now you're going to get probably a thousand Student athletes a year that are going to jump into the transfer portal that have been through Division one college basketball that could be more prepared than a young freshman uh, it's not doesn't always work out that way but could have been exposed to you know the level that this is but from a high school standpoint, you know we are very diligent, and this is you know something I've had to work on over time with our process of recruiting, so we will go out and really be selective in the high school period. So you start out, you're, you're watching AAU, and then you're watching the high school period. Very few times do we actually throw a scholarship Offer out there. And this could be some really good players because we want to make sure we're getting the right evaluation. So we want to make sure we're getting it right from a basketball standpoint. Watch as much as you can, watch as much film as you can. Um, We have a coaching staff that has different territories that they're responsible for. So really diving through the film. And then once we get to a point where we like them as players, that's where the exciting part happens, but that's where the deep dive really comes into play. So we target them. We know that they can play, they fit us from a playing standpoint okay, now we got to dive into the character. Because at the end of the day, you talked about that schedule. They have to be able to do that. And you also, because we're around each other so much, you have to enjoy being around them. And that's where the fun part is had. So for us, you know, we've got to make sure that this is a fit, how it feels, the interaction between myself and them, from my staff with them, how their families are. We engage their families and Um, We're recruiting a young man right now from Texas where, you know, I'm talking to the grandmother, I'm talking to the brother, I'm talking to the trainer, I'm talking to each family member because he fits what we're looking for. And, you know, so we really try to engage everybody around them to hopefully get them to see the amount of interest that we have in that young man. So it takes, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of uh, staff, you know, as a staff, we have a, um, a Google spreadsheet where. You know, we have the guys that are on our top list, you know, we have a ranking of guys, but the guys on our top list, we're writing handwritten notes to every single day, but it's in rotation. So, you know, uh, Coach Miller might be writing one today and I'm following up tomorrow. So they're constantly getting a letter from us or a a mail out. And, you know, a lot of things are electronic, but I still feel that that individualized attention you know whether it be a facetime or whether it be a handwritten note still carries weight that's always going to hold up and so for us that's part of our process as well of trying to land a recruit but you know we're going to talk to the we're going to talk to the counselors we're going to talk to the coaches and that's why it's really important to try to have established relationships with people because you know you really want to be able to trust people in this because we only get 13 full scholarships every year and sometimes that might be two or three high school students and when you're trying to build culture when you're trying to build a successful operation you know it, it ends up being the people that matter the most so you want to make sure it does fit and you know i'm very fortunate i love this group that i'm coaching now i've made a lot of mistakes in my time at doing this but really try to learn from them and try to make instead of processes that you know, allow for us to be successful, even though there is no science behind this. There is uh, certain characteristics that we do look for that usually translate for success at this level. You know, that makes a lot of sense. And I would imagine as the head coach, you're you're kind of the CEO of the of the
1: organization. How much collaboration is done in the recruiting from a standpoint of, let's just say, hypothetically, one of your assistants goes to an AAU event, uh, a kid catches their eye. uh, And I do want to hear what types of things catch your eye as a staff then they come back to the group and say, hey, I saw this kid. I think he could be a good fit here. Is it something that that collectively you as a staff all have to sign off and say, yeah, this is a kid worth pursuing? Do you give someone some autonomy to pursue someone to a certain level and then they present that to you? And then where does, um, if any, when you have someone in for a visit, are you asking your current players, hey, is this the type of guy you'd like to add to our program and play with next year?
2: Do they get a vote? So I'll start with the first part, you know, we try to make this a collaboration and also, you know, our our eyes will tell us different things and the more that we can come to an agreement that this player can help us the more that I feel settled and excited about recruiting it we all got to trust our eyes we all got to trust our gut, you know our, our staff knows that when we're in our staff meetings I want them to present the guys that they think can help us win. And once they present that person, we're going to get another set of eyes on them every single time. So it's not just going to be one evaluation. It will be a follow-up with a coach. And the final thing will be me watching them. Like we will never offer a kid without myself getting eyes on them after the, and I trust my coaches. They are brilliant and they are, they are really good at uh, evaluating talent and have done a terrific job so far. You know, and I took over five years ago, we were a really young team. We were one of the youngest teams in the country and we've steadily built our talent level up and you have to find some diamonds in the rough here at Mount St. Mary's and, and develop them. And, and, you know, that's something that you're not going to get a finished product, but you know, you've got to hit on a couple of things from a talent level, from a character standpoint. And uh, I think we've really gotten to a good rhythm. Uh, of doing that. So then once we all, not all agree, but once we are in agreement that these are the guys that we're going to get, then it's a collective effort. We're going to all bring the guy up to campus. Uh, We're going to, you know, treat him like our, he's part of our basketball family. And with that, your guys are your best recruiters. And that will always be the case. And for us, we'll have a host, uh, but we like to surround them with more than just a couple of guys. They'll uh, end up you know spending time with them they'll hang out in the dorms with them we try to make it where uh we create some interaction as well you know instead of just going out to a dinner Uh, Like we'll do dinner with the family on the first night of an official visit, but the second night we like take them bowling. We like it to be where it's, where we can interact, where we can have some fun, where family can talk to players, where a a parent can, I can have a conversation where, you know, we can have a little bit of fun with our recruits and, you know, talk a little bit of trash too. And it just, you know, I I think that's something that as uh, time's gone on here is really important. And, you know, I will always ask the feedback of our players what they thought because it matters because they know, and especially when you trust your group and it's a player driven team, they know what fits and they'll they'll be able to tell you. And, you know, I'm I, I think I've really built some trust with our upperclassmen. And, you know, they do a terrific job when we when we do get recruits on campus because they want to see the program be successful. Um, and they, you know, they're an extension of what we're trying to build. You
0: smart. I appreciate that.
2: Well, you know, as a side note, I just want to say.
1: How selfless a young man has to be to say he's a a junior on your team, he's a point guard, and you're recruiting a a pretty highly touted point guard for him to say, yes, I still want this guy to come to our program, even though I'll be competing against him potentially for minutes, you know, and so forth. It it takes a special person to do that. And I've always found that fascinating just in the college recruiting uh, uh, landscape, if you will. A couple of other one-off questions because the recruiting part fascinates me. So uh, you or someone on your your staff goes to a big AAU event and tell me the things that catch your eye. Now I would imagine to some level, you know you've, you've and of course I say this with all the respect in the world, you've got the guys that are most likely going to go to Kentucky or Duke or UNC. So there's a good chance you won't get those guys no matter how hard you pursue them. And they're probably the ones that catch your eye immediately when you walk into a gym. What else are you looking for to say this is the type of, as you just said, a diamond in the rough, a player that, that is certainly good enough to play at our level, but might even be a little bit better. And how can we convince them that
2: he's the right fit here? It changes every year from positional need, right? So or because you know you're going to lose a roster piece. Like, and plus we might lose a couple that are unexpected. Um, There are certain things that you look for from certain positions, right? So from a point guard standpoint, if I'm looking at a point guard, like I'm looking to see how he commands his huddle. I'm looking to see when he gets subbed, how good of a teammate he is. You know, I'm looking to see if you're a smaller point guard, are you picking up 94 feet? That's just because what you do. I'm looking to see if you pass with both hands. Like, are you only going right or can you go left? Um, you know, when you get into the paint, like what's the decisions that you're making. And so, you know, from a guard standpoint, you know, we're, we're really trying to evaluate your decision-making, you know, the the, the intangibles. And then for us, we're a defensive team. So are you athletically gifted enough to sit down and guard, guard essentially? Like, can you guard, can you guard your position? If you're small, are you scrappy enough to fight to the front? You know, and so just like knowing how we want to play now, we really try to focus on the things that we think that position is going to allow for success. If you're a forward, like, is your motor on, like, are you going to run to the rim? Are you going to post up big when you catch the ball? Like, are you going to be aggressive and finish around the basket? And so for us, like, those are things that are really important. Um, and also, you know, the, the, your communication level, like, is it, is it going to take time um, when you're on that back line of that defense, you're an extension, you know, essentially a quarterback of our defense. So for us, we're uh, looking for guys that are communicating that are, you know, being aggressive in ball screen coverages that, you know, can move their feet laterally. And, you know, how do they do at the rim? Like, are, are they athletic enough to be able to stop a physical guard from Iona at the rim? And, you know, just certain things that you try to play a game in your head and think about what's going to happen during the season and how that will fit in there. So, um, you know, it, it changes. And, you know, if you need a guy that can stretch the floor, like shooting's been in need for us. So it may be that that you may give up a little athleticism for a guy that can really pick and pop and make threes, from that four spot. So, you know, every position has something different that we're looking for. And we try to really break that down and be specific with what we're looking for from a player. I think it's brilliant. I I love that you mentioned both tangible and intangible qualities that you're
1: certainly looking for very specific, you know, uh, skill sets for them to play on the court, but you're also looking at leadership. You're also looking at the ability to communicate. You're looking at body language when maybe things aren't going their way. So that's very refreshing to hear. Talk to me a little bit about the the numbers, and this is actually something that I I don't know. So let's just say that you know for the the class you're recruiting that you're going to have three uh, scholarships available. Are you recruiting three kids really heavily? Are you recruiting half a dozen? Do you, are you casting a slightly wider net and then kind of narrowing that down? Because you know the other part that fascinates me is obviously you know a, a kid is in the mix to come to the mount and, and you're building a great relationship. But there's also a good chance they're doing that with a few other programs. And it's, you know, it's, it's almost like dating, if you will. And you're trying to figure out, all right, are we both ready to be exclusive or are you going to keep dating some other people? So talk to me about what some of that behind the scenes and numbers look like to make sure that you get the guys that you're really hoping you get.
2: So we will cast a big net, you know, and we are in the most talented, in my opinion, one of the most talented areas of basketball period. So for us, the first thing is we got to sift through our backyard. We got to make sure that the Washington, D.C., Virginia, Baltimore area that we know who's there because you, you really if you can get a, you know, a diamond in a rough, so to speak, they're harder to get. You know, our area is very heavily recruited now because you think about all the great players that have come. So for us, we're, we're casting a big net. And so we just had our elite camp yesterday. We had one hundred and twenty kids there. Right. And of that one hundred and twenty, we probably had 15 kids, that could 20 kids that could probably play division one basketball. Okay. Uh, so, you know, you, you were recruiting them, but it might not be the need for the position in that class. So we, but it might end up becoming, and the way that I've told you that the co- college basketball landscape has changed is some of the recruiting for high school kids is going to ramp up at the end of the year. Cause people are going to go into the portal and see what they have. So it's constantly recruiting, but for us, I'll, I'll give you just where we're at right now. So I need a point guard. I need a, a forward. Um, I potentially could bring another forward in as well. So there's, you know, three spots that i might use early. We have targeted five guys that like, we would feel great if we got their commitment, we've ranked them, we've ranked them. So you got our one that we're, you know, you might trying to go and usually you try everything you can to, to lock that in, but you know, one through five, all can really play and you would be thrilled with their commitment. And you will, uh, once you get them to campus, you really try to go, all the way in to make it happen. And, you know, as you said, it, it, you are transparent through the process. You know, when we have our number one guy up, we're going to tell them, Hey, we got guys coming in behind you. And if they take it, I'm going to have to call you and tell you, unfortunately, the scholarship's not there. And, you know, that's the risk that they may choose, but that's also what we risk by waiting out for a young man. They have other visits scheduled. And then, you know, you may hear that they are, they've chosen another spot. So, you know, it, it is, really important that you you have a good list and you know you may miss your entire list and then you you keep recruiting and the other thing too is like sometimes if you don't hit that five you're going to be patient because they still have a high school year to play and there's going to be guys that didn't play au basketball there are going to be guys out there um and with the schools and other division one institutions taking less guys you can really get a high quality player late you're so wise. I'm going to ask this question because I think a lot of my listeners would be very curious. So um,
1: as you know, I have twin sons, Luke and Jack. The born backcourt is there, affectionately known. Just started seventh grade today is the, the day we're recording this. Um, Let's just say they matriculate up to being in in 11th grade and they're not on your radar at present. Is it appropriate for a player or a parent to reach out to say that, hey, I've got a son that I think could play at the Mount uh, or that we'd like you to take a look at? And then if that is something that you welcome, what type of material should they supply you do, do they send in a couple of, of full game tapes or a mix or a, a referral call from their high school coach? What's the best way for someone to be proactive to get on your radar that might not currently be?
2: Yeah, I get the question a lot and you know you do have to be proactive because there's a lot of guys like you said that we won't see. The biggest thing is make sure you're making it personalized. you know a lot of times when we get emails it's very generic and it's you can tell that it's been sent to every college. In the country, so if it is like a spot that does interest, make sure you're writing about it and make sure that you're making some sort of connection to that university because those are the emails that do stick out. We get a ton of them. Um, we do have someone on staff for us that we want to respond to all of them, and you know that's where the elite camp does come into play. You know, we do want guys to, that can be invited to our campus and work with our staff and be able to see them, um, and we think that's a great event uh, to have that exposure. And we do have you know ten other division three programs that are here working it. So there's a chance to get recruited at another level if the division one level isn't, you know, the right fit, you know, for their child. But you know, we like I said, I think the personalized email is important. A highlight tape, you know, we our time is, we don't have a whole lot of time. So a highlight tape is important to kind of get in a gauge. Oh, and then if it's intriguing, it would be very helpful to have those links, whether it be a half a game, a full game, uh, so we can really do our uh due diligence and and watch full game tape. You know, when, when you're on your our list, Synergy makes things really easy. Um, and we're all we all uh subscribe to Synergy here at Mount St. Mary. So, you know, if they're playing AAU basketball, we can go and watch those games. Uh, but a lot of times we can tell if there's a baseline talent level from those highlight tapes uh, that we can watch. But make it a personalized, uh, send a highlight and also send a link to a, you know, to a game. I, I do think that's a, a way that you can catch attention. And it also helps to hear from other people that might have a connection to that coach. You know, if you can find some way to connect a dot to an assistant on staff somehow and have someone else call on their behalf and just to get a fair, honest evaluation, I think that's probably the best process for any parent or any family.
1: That makes sense to me. No, that makes sense. And it's nice to hear that, that you're open to that and that you acknowledge there's a chance a diamond in the rough, could actually recruit you all before you even had a chance to recruit them. I, I think that's, that's amazing. And we've had
2: that even as of late, we had a, a young man who got recruited at the highest major level, who was reaching out to us all the time. And we kept telling him, Hey, we're going to watch you. We're going to watch you." And he was proactive as could be. And he ended up just having a huge summer. And, you know, he had, you know, big 10 schools and ACC and, you know, and at that time, if we recruited him a little bit harder, he might've ended up at the melt. So. <laughs> So cool to hear. So with your role specifically,
1: I mean, we've we've kind of covered some of the basketball stuff. Talk to us a little about some of the things off the court that also fall under your umbrella as the CEO of the organization, um, whether these are other things that are required of you from the Mount, like other uh, appearances and things that you have to do with with faculty and admin, with, with maybe boosters and other people that help support the program. And, and then, of course, What you're doing to pour into and develop and 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 help your coaching staff um, under the assumption that some of them most likely would like to be head coaches one day, maybe not all of them, but that usually seems to be what most coaches, uh, you know, uh, envision for their own future. So, talk to me about some of the other things that that are required
2: of you. Yeah, you know, this is really a CEO position, right? You're, You're responsible for your coaching staff. You're responsible for your players. You're responsible for uh, the alumni and donor attachment. You know, you're responsible to make sure you know the connection between the athletic trainer is really good with our guys to make sure that they're um, you know getting the nutrition that they need. Make sure. So you you oversee a lot as a head coach of a Division one program. Um, I like to call myself the culture coordinator, right? You know, I'm I'm responsible for the people uh, under you know in our program, and I take that very seriously. So you know, for us, the unseen hours are really trying to to elevate that every year. You know, we try to make sure that uh, we're hiring and bringing in really good coaches that can be an extension, that are knowledgeable, uh, that can teach the game, that are going to help our guys really develop on and off the court. From a player standpoint, you know, once they get here, you know, those are our best recruits. Those are our our most important recruits. And, you know, how we interact with them and how we create their experience uh, is so important. So there's a lot of time spent into building those relationships. And, uh, making sure that you know the guys know that it's authentic, and we're working to try to uh, do something together, and that's that yeah, takes a lot of time and effort. And then you know, to run a Division One program, it takes a lot of money. So you've got to include the friends of the program that are that care about this place, and it's I don't think people understand how important it is to engage the community and engage the alumni and 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 and, uh, and uh, really engage the donors that really make the program go. and uh, trying to you know create that family from a, a big picture and and bring them back to make them feel proud about what's happening here so you know there there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of things that need to get done within the program and a head coach can't do it all himself and that's why it's so important that you you have a staff and um, you know I, I've shared this with you when I spoke at the clinic but you know for those that are watching you know here's kind of an org chart of what yeah. breakdown is and just making sure our our coaches are in a, in, a, in a place where they know what expectation is but also understanding that their roles and it takes uh, a lot of time to work with the staff to make sure that we're in alignment and pushing in the same direction.
0: If no one told you yet you're a genius and an artist let
2: me be the first. You have all of that stuff
1: that you just mentioned which can be an overwhelming amount so I would imagine um, as you've gotten more experience, you've gotten better at being efficient with your time knowing what things to say no to to, to really pour into that but how does one manage all of that and then still remain, as you do so brilliantly, a very present father and husband? How, how do you make the time or, or what guardrails do you put up, a framework do you use to make sure that that your life
2: isn't 100% basketball 100% of the time? My golf game isn't very good anymore. I <laughs> Without kids, I used to play and get out. And I still like to, to, to play, um, you know, in events. And it's just prioritizing, right? It's prioritizing. And. Um, I know that I'm a better coach uh, with my family support. You know, my wife is amazing. She's a rock and I have three beautiful daughters and winter loss. Like I'm going to walk through that door and they might mention it, but it doesn't affect their day. And, you know, so for me, I'm building this in a family dynamic. If I'm really cognizant of making sure that my family at home uh, is, is in a good place because uh, they really uh, have my back. And uh, you know, we try to find time where, um, you know, we can, you know, the, the weekends um, that are open, we're, we're going to try to be as present as possible, try to put that phone down for a little bit. We just did a Disney trip this past year. Um, so really just trying to, you know, be be a father that I'm, that I'm proud of and being a husband that I'm proud of. And, you know, I do think it, it does, it helps me in this world. Um, and it really helps uh, me understand, you know, the, the needs of our young men. You know, I got girls now that eventually are going to be in this position. And anytime that You know, we're going to coach them hard, and we're going to demand a lot out of them. But also, you know, understanding. Okay, well, how was I want someone talking to my daughter in this moment, and you know, try to use that. So, you know, I'm learning. I learn every day uh, for my family, and. I'm very fortunate to have a great one. We're a big family here.
1: I think that's a fantastic filter to use. That reminds me kind of Morgan Wooten would always say, you know, you, I'm here to coach someone as if they were my own child, or I'm here to coach them the way I would want someone to treat my own child. I think that's fantastic. And um, I, I assume many of your assistants have families as well. So are you constantly, in addition to the modeling at the way that you do, are you reminding them how important it is to not work 24-7 and to be present for their own families so that they'll come to work as the best versions of themselves the same way you do.
2: Yeah. We've had those conversations a lot. And I do have really motivated driven coaches that are going to put in so much work. And you talk about those unseen hours, they're going to be finding that time to make sure that they're not missing anything from a, a tactical standpoint or making sure that our guys are getting better in certain areas. Uh, but I tell them, it's important to have that you know, release and make sure that you're uh, spending that time with your families and, you know, our, my daughters will be in practices running around and coach Holland's uh, on our staff has uh, two boys and a, and a girl coming, they're always in the gym running around and, you know, I want them to be around. And I think it's great for our guys to see that as well. And, um, you know, to see a lighter side sometimes in the gym, because, you know, it's intense in there, you know, a division one practice, it's intense and uh, we got to demand a lot out of them. So, um, you know, I think it is really important to have that family time and to, to, and that's something that we promote within our program. You're the smartest guy I ever met.
1: Outside of your immediate staff and everyone at the Mount, um, how often are you in communication with or or talking with other coaches in the profession? You know, technically your competitors, if you will. I mean, uh, not only guys that you compete you know with for wins and losses, but you're competing with for uh, recruits. And you know, given that when you started, you know, you're one of the youngest head coaches in the country. Did you have some mentors in the field and did you have some older, more veteran coaches that you
2: look to just to kind of learn the ropes? Yeah, I still do. And I still have guys that I'll always lean on. Milan Brown gave me a chance here at Mount St. Mary's and I've worked with him for six years and he's, he's my coaching mentor. You know, he, he showed what it was and he put the blueprint to try to be successful in running it in a family dynamic. And, um, and I got to watch him live it every day. And he had two daughters. So I got to see how he, carried himself. And um, and then on top of that, you know, I, Jamie and Christian was really successful here at Mount St. Mary's. He really helped, you know, my coaching career early on there. And they're guys that I, you know, lean on a lot. The cool thing about our profession is people really are open to sharing. And that's like this, a lot of professions aren't necessarily like that. And coaching's different. You know, I'll be recruiting multiple coaches I could name, but you know, I was just sitting there the other day and Rick Barnes and I sat next to each other and he was so open and, and shared. And, you know, and that, that's just not him. I mean, you, you can go down the list of guys that would, uh, you know, just share their wisdom, you know, things that they do that are successful. You know, I, I do think that's where this profession is unique. You really can get a lot of ideas from guys that have done it before, and especially with the older coaches. Like they they really want to make sure the game is passed on in the right way and you know i try as much as i can to pick their brains when those opportunities present themselves and write down notes and steal little things here and there and you know you go to a coaching clinic and you usually take one or two things but you know i just in a passing conversation you can get something that can help translate to your program or just a way things are said or a way that they word it that you know can can leave an imprint and um you know there are a lot of guys out there that are willing to share but you always got your uh, your close network that you you stay tight with and, uh, you know, that are there for you when you need it. Yes. That's awesome. I have very fond memories of being in the coaching fraternity
1: and, and realizing that there's a special brotherhood, if you will, that, that guys have tremendous amount of respect for anyone that's willing to make the sacrifice and commitment to do this job. And, and yeah, we can all help each other and it doesn't take anything away from our program or our ability to be successful by helping somebody else out. So I, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Last thing for you, now we'll get kind of really specific. So let's just imagine, hypothetically, we're in the heart of the season. You have a big road opponent in conference. Talk to us about what the 48 hours before that looks like. I, I wanna know a little bit about um, the, the scouting that's done and what you're sharing with the players, um, what the actual travel looks like, even there on game day. What kinds of things do you say in the pregame talk? What do you say during halftime? And then what do you say after the game, regardless of whether things went your way?
2: Awesome question. 48 hours. So we to, I told you we have coordinators. Yes. So two days in advance, our uh, defensive coordinator is going to go over the opponent's offense, as well as our special teams coordinator is going to go over their special team. So we intertwine those. So we don't want to overload them. Um, so that's, that's 48 hours. That's that day of practice. And that practice will take place on our facility. So that will be in our practice gym. We'll watch the film. We'll get out there. We'll stretch them. And then we have the practice. And they've already now seen the visual of what the opponent's already going to be doing. A lot of the guys have already came in for individual film and have already gotten a little bit of head start. Um, so they have that visual of uh, you know what that opponent is going to try to emphasize from an offensive standpoint. And then we try to execute that game plan in practice. The next day, our offensive coordinator um, is going to go over and this will be at the opponent's facility so we'll probably leave after that practice because we don't want to miss two days of class time we'll practice 3 30 5 30 get on the bus usually it's chick-fil-a sometimes chipotle whatever the guys want grab a road meal and then we'll eat again at the hotel um, have our pregame meal there at the hotel you know we'll, we'll have already gone over the film the night before we'll go over the offense that next practice day we're going to go over you know, what the, how the team's going to guard us, you know, the different ball screen coverages they're going to, you know, throw at us uh, where we think they're weak, where we can attack. And so we're really going to do that at a high level as well as personnel. So we're going to break down um, each opponent's personnel uh, clip. So we're really going to have a good feel for um, the guys on the other team. And, you know, we have the way that we break down our scouting is we've got Reddick's, Wade's, uh, Reddicks are those that shoot the heck out of the ball. You better play them off the three line. Don't let them get a jump shot up. Those wades can hit the, the mid range. Um, they're pretty good there. And we shouldn't disrespect him that way. Cause he's a hall of famer, but we got Rondo as the last guy and that's more up to the basket and, and floater. So we, we have those three that we'll categorize. And our guys will wear different uniforms, depending on uh, what type of shooter they are different penny, um, you know, really trying to emphasize the, you know, who's who and, and Making sure that we're getting out on certain guys certain ways with our closeouts and our defense. So then we get through practice at the opponent's facility, we'll come back and we'll lump it all together in a condensed version. So they'll see the film on all four of those pieces. And our, our staff will break those down. They'll hear from the different voices on our staff. I think it does, you know, it's important for me that they all have a voice. They get their voice during that time as well. They're presenting to the team. Um, you know, our guys that we do a little bit different is we'll give them a blank scout. So the night before. They'll watch all the film, but we're going to do just the personnel with them. And they have to get up there. And now they're talking about each. They have a, a one guy that they're that they're responsible for. And then the whole team has to fill it out while they're doing it. So not only are they presenting the players, they're also writing it down. Mm-hmm. So they have it where they're you know not only just seeing the visual, but they're also learning by you know writing it and staying engaged through the whole scouting report. Um, So they take ownership in that. I think that's been a a good thing that we've done over the years. Then we, you know, have bed checks. I used to take their phones. I said, I trust these young men. Like they need to get their rest. They're going to keep their phones. Um, But, you know, we try to have make sure they're in bed by 1130, get a good night's rest because it's important for performance. And then we get up the next morning, have breakfast. We'll do a shoot around there. It's a short shoot around, uh, walk through, uh, get shots up, really just try to, you know, get the last, uh, focus on things that are important for the game plan. And we get to the game an hour and a half. Uh, they'll start getting their warmups in post worker, post perimeter, worker perimeter. Um, then they come together and they get their warm up in. Uh, we bring them in with about 40. We'll show very short clips again of the uh, offense, defense, special teams in and out, get back out. And then with uh, 13 minutes to go on the clock, we'll come back in and then I'll give my pregame speech and just go over again, what's important, what we need to do, who's guarding who, uh, our five keys for success. And then you hope the guys are ready to, to lay it all out there and have some fun and fly around and make some plays. And, uh, I'll give them the motivation for whatever it is that day. And, you know, try to be creative with that sometimes. And, uh, halftime is going to be dependent on how we're playing. You know, if I feel like they need a spark, I'll give them a spark. If I feel like, you know, they're too high, I'll try to keep it mellow and, hey guys we're okay like you know it it all depends and it's a feel you know that's more of a gut feel at halftime and then after the game we'll always have a team prayer I try to keep it as brief as possible because we're usually all pretty emotional after a win or a loss and you try to think about what happened but the more that you can save it for film the next day the better because sometimes what you actually thought had happened isn't necessarily the case so um, try to bring it in try to make sure the team's connected and uh you know try to put our guys in a good place to win the day the following day that
0: was awesome
1: (laughs) it's just so mind-blowing that everything that you just outlined there you're basically going to do 30 to 35 times throughout the year i mean obviously half of these games will be at home and, and some travels a little more extensive than others but it's it's the same system and it's the same process and it's that much detail
2: that's the part that that i find remarkable and then uh yeah. <laughs> staff, Right. I mean, they have to like get ahead. We have two games now on the map. We're going to play Friday, Sunday. Like they have to have Sundays prepared before Friday. So they're still focused on Friday's game and then also getting ready for Sunday. And, you know, that's where the real unseen hours are. And that's the amount of film and the breakdown and in each individual and the other opponent, and just trying to make sure that we're being efficient as possible on top of the recruiting requirements that this job has. So, you know, that's when people say that, you know, it, it is, I, it, I still think it's the greatest profession in the world, but it's, it's a lot. And, you know, you've got to be willing to put the time into working. Absolutely. Well, you know, as I mentioned before, I'm, I may be privy to a little bit more
1: insight than most just based on my previous career. But I still learned a ton today and, and just absolutely blown away at, at, at what you are continuing to build there and the approach that you all take. So I I can't thank you enough for uh, sharing some of what you guys do during the unseen hours. And you just know that I'm always rooting for you. And uh, yeah, this was amazing. Thank you.
2: Yeah, Alan, thank you so much, and and for anybody that's listening in, um, this man right here has had a huge impact on my life, was one of my first coaches, and um, you know, I, I, one of the first uh, experiences that I had in high school was through his training. Uh, it was Eats at the time, and um, the energy that he always had was contagious, so knowledgeable, uh, but inspired me to be a coach and to do it with a positive energy and enthusiasm and um, you know, I know you've gone on and uh, impacted so many, uh, but I got to kind of see it firsthand as a as a young kid and uh, the impact that you had on not just me, but all of our friends um, was profound. And um, this is really cool that we were able to get on today because it means a lot.
1: Thank
0: you. Well, that's it for this episode and for season 13. Thank you for investing your time with us. We hope we helped you raise your game. Please join us for season 14, where we'll share practical actionable lessons from Alan's keynotes and workshops. And of course, if you believe Alan can add value to your event or organization in 2023, please visit alansteinjr.com for more information on all of his in-person and virtual programs.